Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. While we were speaking, Thrasymachus had tried many times to take over the discussion, but was restrained by those sitting near him, who wanted to hear our argument to the end. When we paused after what I'd just said, however, he couldn't keep quiet any longer. He coiled himself up like a wild beast about to spring, and he hurled himself at us as if to tear us to pieces. Polemicus and I were frightened and flustered as he roared into our midst. What nonsense have you two been talking, Socrates? Why do you act like idiots by giving way to one another? If you truly want to know what justice is, don't just ask questions and then refute the answers simply to satisfy your competitiveness or love of honor. You know very well that it is easier to ask questions than answer them. Give an answer yourself and tell us what you say the just is. And don't tell me that it's the right, the beneficial, the profitable, the gainful, or the advantageous. But tell me clearly and exactly what you mean, for I won't accept such nonsense from you. His words startled me, and, looking at him, I was afraid, and I think that if I hadn't seen him before he stared at me, I'd have been dumbstruck. But as it was, I happened to look at him just as our discussion began to exasperate him, so I was able to answer, and, trembling a little, I said, Don't be too hard on us, Thrasymachus, for if Polemicus and I made an error in our investigation, you should know that we did so unwillingly. If we were searching for gold, we'd never willingly give way to each other, if by doing so we'd destroy our chance of finding it. So don't think that in searching for justice, a thing more valuable than even a large quantity of gold, we'd mindlessly give way to one another or be less than completely serious about finding it. You surely mustn't think that, but rather, as I do, that we're incapable of finding it. Hence, it's surely far more appropriate for us to be pitied by you clever people than to be given rough treatment. When he heard that, he gave a loud, sarcastic laugh. By Heracles, he said, that's just Socrates' usual irony. I knew, and I said so to these people earlier, that you'd be unwilling to answer, and that, if someone questioned you, you'd be ironical and do anything rather than give an answer. That's because you're a clever fellow, Thrasymachus. You knew very well that if you ask someone how much twelve is, and as you ask, you warn him by saying, Don't tell me, man, that twelve is twice six, or three times four, or six times two, or four times three, for I won't accept such nonsense. Then you'll see clearly, I think, that no one could answer a question framed like that. And if he said to you, What are you saying, Thrasymachus? Am I not to give any of the answers you mention, not even if twelve happens to be one of those things? I'm amazed. Do you want me to say something other than the truth? Or do you mean something else? What answer would you give him? Well, so you think the two cases are alike? Why shouldn't they be alike? But even if they aren't alike, yet seem so to the person you asked, do you think him any less likely to give the answer that seems right to him, whether we forbid him to or not? Is that what you're going to do? Give one of the forbidden answers? I wouldn't be surprised, provided that it's the one that seems right to me after I've investigated the matter. 
What if I show you a different answer about justice than all these, and a better one? What would you deserve then? What else than the appropriate penalty for one who doesn't know, namely to learn from the one who does know? Therefore, that's what I deserve. You amuse me. But in addition to learning, you must pay a fine. I will as soon as I have some money. He has some already, said Glaucon. If it's a matter of money, speak, Thrasymachus, for we'll all contribute for Socrates. I know, he said, so that Socrates can carry on as usual. He gives no answer himself, and then, when someone else does give one, he takes up the argument and refutes it. How can someone give an answer, I said, when he doesn't know it, and doesn't claim to know it, and when an eminent man forbids him to express the opinion he has? It's much more appropriate for you to answer, since you say you know and can tell us. So do it as a favor to me, and don't begrudge your teaching to Glaucon and the others. While I was saying this, Glaucon and the others begged him to speak. It was obvious that Thrasymachus thought he had a fine answer, and that he wanted to earn their admiration by giving it, but he pretended that he wanted to indulge his love of victory by forcing me to answer. However, he agreed in the end, and then said, There you have Socrates' wisdom. He himself isn't willing to teach, but he goes around learning from others and isn't even grateful to them. When you say that I learn from others, you're right, Thrasymachus. But when you say that I'm not grateful, that isn't true. I show what gratitude I can, but since I have no money, I can only give praise. But just how enthusiastically I give it when someone seems to me to speak well, you'll know as soon as you've answered, for I think that you will speak well. Listen, then. I say that justice is nothing other than the advantage of the stronger. Well, why don't you praise me? But then you'd do anything to avoid having to do that. I must first understand you, for I don't yet know what you mean. The advantage of the stronger, you say is just. What do you mean, Thrasymachus? Surely you don't mean something like this. Polydemus the Pancratist is stronger than we are. It is to his advantage to eat beef to build up his physical strength. Therefore this food is also advantageous and just for us who are weaker than he is. You disgust me, Socrates. Your trick is to take hold of the argument at the point where you can do it the most harm. Not at all. But tell us more clearly what you mean. Don't you know that some cities are ruled by a tyranny, some by a democracy, and some by an aristocracy? Of course. And in each city, this element is stronger, namely the ruler. Certainly. And each makes laws to its own advantage. Democracy makes democratic laws, tyranny makes tyrannical laws, and so on with the others. And they declare what they have made, what is to their own advantage, to be just for their subjects, and they punish anyone who goes against this as lawless and unjust. This, then, is what I say justice is, the same in all cities, the advantage of the established rule. Since the established rule is surely stronger, anyone who reasons correctly will conclude that the just is the same everywhere, namely, the advantage of the stronger." Now I see what you mean. Whether it's true or not, I'll try to find out. But you yourself have answered that the just is the advantageous, Thrasymachus, whereas you forbade that answer to me. True, you've added of the stronger to it. 
and I suppose you think that's an insignificant addition. It isn't clear yet whether it's significant, but it is clear that we must investigate to see whether or not it's true. I agree that the just is some kind of advantage, but you add that it's of the stronger. I don't know about that. We'll have to look into it. Go ahead and look. We will. Tell me, don't you also say that it is just to obey the rulers? I do. And are the rulers in all cities infallible, or are they liable to error? No doubt they are liable to error. When they undertake to make laws, therefore, they make some correctly, others incorrectly. I suppose so. And a law is correct if it prescribes what is to the ruler's own advantage, and incorrect if it prescribes what is to their disadvantage. Is that what you mean? It is. And whatever laws they make must be obeyed by their subjects, and this is justice. Of course. Then, according to your account, it is just to do not only what is to the advantage of the stronger, but also the opposite, what is not to their advantage. What are you saying? The same as you. But let's examine it more fully. Haven't we agreed that in giving orders to their subjects, the rulers are sometimes in error as to what is best for themselves, and yet that it is just for their subjects to do whatever their rulers order? Haven't we agreed to that much? I think so. Then you must also think that you have agreed that it is just to do what is disadvantageous to the rulers and those who are stronger whenever they unintentionally order what is bad for themselves. But you also say that it is just for the others to obey the orders they give. You're terribly clever, Thrasymachus. But doesn't it necessarily follow that it is just to do the opposite of what you said? since the weaker are then ordered to do what is disadvantageous to the stronger. By God, Socrates, said Polemicus, that's quite clear. If you are to be his witness anyway, said Cletophon, interrupting. Who needs a witness, Polemicus replied. Thrasymachus himself agrees that the rulers sometimes order what is bad for themselves and that it is just for the others to do it. That, Polemarchus, is because Thrasymachus maintained that it is just to obey the orders of the rulers. He also maintained, Cletophon, that the advantage of the stronger is just, and having maintained both principles, he went on to agree that the stronger sometimes gives orders to those who are weaker than he is, in other words, to his subjects, that are disadvantageous to the stronger himself. From these arguments it follows that what is to the advantage of the stronger is no more just than what is not to his advantage. But, Cletophon responded, he said that the advantage of the stronger is what the stronger believes to be to his advantage. This is what the weaker must do, and this is what he maintained the just to be. That isn't what he said, Polemicus replied. It makes no difference, Polemicus, I said. If Thrasymachus wants to put it that way now, let's accept it. Tell me, Thrasymachus, is this what you wanted to say the just is? Namely, what the stronger believes to be to his advantage, whether it is in fact to his advantage or not. Is that what we are to say you mean? Not at all. Do you think I'd call someone who is an error stronger at the very moment he errs? I did think that that was what you meant when you agreed that the rulers aren't infallible but are liable to error. That's because you're a false witness in arguments, Socrates. When someone makes an error in the treatment of patients, do you call him a doctor in regard to that very error? 
Or when someone makes an error in accounting, do you call him an accountant in regard to that very error in calculation? I think that we express ourselves in words that, taken literally, do say that a doctor is an error, or an accountant, or a grammarian. But each of these, insofar as he is what we call him, never errs. So that, according to the precise account, and you are a stickler for precise accounts, no craftsman ever errs. It's when his knowledge fails him that he makes an error, and in regard to that error, he is no craftsman. No craftsman, expert, or ruler makes an error at the moment when he is ruling, even though everyone will say that a physician or a ruler makes errors. It's in this loose way that you must also take the answer I gave earlier. But the most precise answer is this. A ruler, insofar as he is a ruler, never makes errors and unerringly decrees what is best for himself. And this his subject must do. Thus, as I said from the first, it is just to do what is to the advantage of the stronger. All right, Thrasymachus. So you think I'm a false witness? You certainly are. And you think that I asked the questions I did in order to harm you in the argument. I know it very well, but it won't do you any good. You'll never be able to trick me, so you can't harm me that way. And without trickery, you'll never be able to overpower me in argument. I wouldn't so much as try, Thrasymachus. But in order to prevent this sort of thing from happening again, define clearly whether it is the ruler and stronger in the ordinary sense or in the precise sense whose advantage you said it is just for the weaker to promote as the advantage of the stronger. I mean the ruler in the most precise sense. Now practice your harm-doing and false witnessing on that if you can. I ask no concessions from you, but you certainly won't be able to. Do you think that I'm crazy enough to try to shave a lion, or to bear false witness against Thrasymachus? You certainly tried just now, though you were a loser at that, too. Enough of this. Tell me, is a doctor in the precise sense, whom you mentioned before, a money-maker or someone who treats the sick? Tell me about the one who is really a doctor. He's the one who treats the sick. What about a ship's captain? Is a captain in the precise sense a ruler of sailors or a sailor? A ruler of sailors. We shouldn't, I think, take into account the fact that he sails in a ship, and he shouldn't be called a sailor for that reason, for it isn't because of his sailing that he is called a ship's captain, but because of his craft and his rule over sailors? That's true. And is there something advantageous to each of these, that is, to bodies and to sailors? Certainly. And aren't the responsible crafts by nature set over them to seek and provide what is to their advantage. They are. And is there any advantage for each of the crafts themselves except to be as complete or perfect as possible? What are you asking? This. If you asked me whether our bodies are sufficient in themselves or whether they need something else, I'd answer, they certainly have needs. And because of this, because our bodies are deficient rather than self-sufficient, the craft of medicine has now been discovered. The craft of medicine was developed to provide what is advantageous for a body. Do you think that I'm right in saying this or not? You're right. Now, is medicine deficient? Does a craft need some further virtue, as the eyes are in need of sight, 
and the ears of hearing, so that another craft is needed to seek and provide what is advantageous to them. Does a craft itself have some similar deficiency, so that each craft needs another to seek out what is to its advantage? And does the craft that does the seeking need still another, and so on without end? Or does each seek out what is to its own advantage by itself? Or does it need neither itself nor another craft to seek out what is advantageous to it because of its own deficiencies? Or is it that there is no deficiency or error in any craft? That it isn't appropriate for any craft to seek what is to the advantage of anything except that of which it is the craft? And that, since it is itself correct, it is without either fault or impurity as long as it is wholly and precisely the craft that it is. Consider this with the preciseness of language you mentioned. Is it so or not? It appears to be so. Medicine doesn't seek its own advantage, then, but that of the body. Yes. And horse breeding doesn't seek its own advantage, but that of horses. Indeed, no other craft seeks its own advantage, for it has no further needs, but the advantage of that of which it is the craft. Apparently so. Now surely, Thrasymachus, the crafts rule over and are stronger than the things of which they are the crafts. Very reluctant, he conceded this as well. No kind of knowledge seeks or orders what is advantageous to itself, then, but what is advantageous to the weaker, which is subject to it. He tried to fight this conclusion, but he conceded it in the end. And after he had, I said, Surely, then, no doctor, insofar as he is a doctor, seeks or orders what is advantageous to himself, but what is advantageous to his patient. We agreed that a doctor, in the precise sense, is a ruler of bodies, not a money-maker. Wasn't that agreed? Yes. So a ship's captain, in the precise sense, is a ruler of sailors, not a sailor. That's what we agreed. Doesn't it follow that a ship's captain or ruler won't seek an order what is advantageous to himself, but what is advantageous to a sailor? He reluctantly agreed. So then, Thrasymachus, no one in any position of rule, insofar as he is a ruler, seeks or orders what is advantageous to himself, but what is advantageous to his subjects, the one of whom he is himself the craftsman. It is to his subjects, and what is advantageous and proper to them, that he looks. And everything he says and does, he says and does for them. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.